This morning, I want to share with you two stories, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna sit down. But before we get to the first story, there's something that I want to share with you. I, I don't know about you, but when I think of myself, I, I think of myself as as a semi-smart person. I don't think I'm dumb, but I also don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. Actually, I know I'm usually not the smartest guy in the room, but I do think that I'm kind of smart, as probably most of you think you're probably at least a little bit smart. The truth is that every single day that we live, we rely on our intelligence. We rely on our wisdom. We rely on everything that we've experienced in life to help us to inform every decision that we make. And sometimes all of the wisdom and all of the intelligence we have still is not enough because we find ourselves making mistakes all the time, right? Am I the only one that makes mistakes? If you make mistakes, say amen. (laughs) Usually our intelligence isn't always enough to keep us out of trouble or to keep us out of making good decisions. The truth is, is that when we rely only on our own intelligence, only on what we know, we are probably going to make mistakes. However, the more that we learn to trust in God, the better the decision-making process will be for us. Isn't that true? If we learn to listen to what God is trying to tell us, more times than not, we are going to have a better time at making decisions. We end up relying mostly on our finite wisdom instead of relying on God's infinite wisdom. So if you have your study guide, if you don't, I don't know if we have any more, but if you have your study guide, the first one is this. You are not smarter than God. No matter how smart you are, no matter how many advanced degrees you have or what you scored on the IQ test, no matter if you are a member of Mensa or whatever it is, no matter if you are the smartest person to ever have lived, you are still not smarter than God. And so to rely only on your wisdom, only on your intelligence, is almost like relying on WebMD to diagnose every sickness you have when you probably should go to a real doctor, right? Now, WebMD helps. It might give you an idea, but it always helps to go to someone that knows more than you. And so this morning, I want to look at two stories where people like you and I have decided that they were smarter than God and what happened to them. So if you have your Bibles or the Bible in front of you, it's not up on the screen, but I want to invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible, and I want to read to you starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
and gave also to her husband who was there with her. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the woman and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, of course, places blame, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And then she said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. What we find is that some things that we think are good aren't always good. The things that look good, the things that seem to make sense to our finite minds, the things and the decisions that we make that we think, well, this, this just makes sense, so I'm going to do it. Sometimes just because it looks good doesn't mean that it is good. So if you have an, uh, one of your study guides there, the very next one says, not everything that seems good is actually good. What we find in the Bible is that as a serpent was having this conversation with Eve, she was convinced, and she says, um, and she says, when the woman saw in verse 6 that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. But what we will find several verses later is that that one decision not only keeps Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, but forever changes the course of history of which you are a part of. It was as a result of that one decision that Adam and Eve made. I know people like to blame the woman, right? Like, oh, it was Eve. She, if she hadn't taken of the fruit. The thing is that if you read the Bible closely, it says that she gave to her husband who was where? In the garage? In the man cave? Doing the yard? Working on the car or on the donkeys or whatever they did in the Garden of Eden? Was Adam off, you know, reading the Bible and praying to God. No, Adam was right there with her. If you read the Bible, that's what it says. So you can't put the blame on Eve. You put the blame on both of them. It made sense to them. It looked good. It made like viable financial sense. And so they decided, okay, we're going to go for it. But what seems good isn't always good. I would say this. I don't know what it is. The decisions that you make, you decisions really do have consequences. Your decisions, I'm sorry about that. Your decisions really do have consequences. What we find in this story in the book of Genesis is that just because something seems good doesn't mean it's actually good, and that every decision you make actually has a very real consequence. And so the more you rely only on your own finite wisdom and intelligence, the more that you rely solely on yourself, the less you rely on the infinite wisdom of God. And when we don't rely on God's infinite wisdom, what we find is that we find ourselves often between a rock and a hard place. 
What we find in the Bible is that when God comes to them, he says, what is this that you have done? I think that was a cosmic question that God was actually asking because what they did there didn't just affect them, it affected everybody. And I want to share with you that for you, the decisions that you make, some people, you know, you'll say, like, I'm just, I'm just going to worry about myself, or I'm just going to do me, as some people say, right? I've heard it. You know, I'm just going to worry about myself. This is what I want to do. The truth is, is that any and every one of your decisions doesn't only affect you, it affects the others that are around you. Every decision has multiple consequences. The reason I bring this up is because a lot of this can be avoided if we learn to listen to God's voice. I want to share with you another story. Jonah, chapter 1. And I reread this again. I hadn't read this in a really long time. And the more I read this, the more I thought God should have kept Jonah in the whale. I know that sounds bad. I encourage you, it's only two or three chapters long. When you go home, read the whole story because we can't get through it. But you'll see why. But I want to begin in Jonah chapter 1. Now, I want to read quite a bit. So if you have your Bible, follow. If not, just try to picture what I'm saying. Because I have to get through a big portion of this for it to make sense. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, and this is a big but, okay, that doesn't sound right in church, but this is a big but. Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish for the, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea, and the ship threatened to break. Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried to his own God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us, uh, spare us a thought so that he, we do not perish. The sailors then said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on none other than Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? He says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men became afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? We begin to see that it's the same question that God asks Adam and Eve. What is this you have done? And it is the same question that is posed to Jonah by those that he is affecting. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them so. And they asked him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet for, down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, Lord. O Lord, wait, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. We're almost done. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It's a long story, I know. What we find here is that God had called Jonah to a specific task. God had prepared a path for Jonah, who happens to be a prophet. So Jonah wasn't just some random man. Jonah is actually one of God's prophets, one of God's spokesperson to all the people of Israel and to whomever God would send them to. So he wasn't just an ordinary person. Jonah was somebody who God had already called, who God had probably used countless times before to preach his message. And yet Jonah decided at this time that he would not go to Nineveh. I would say this. You can run, but you can't hide from God. I know that sounds kind of ominous and mean and harsh. But the truth is, is that God had set a plan and a path for Jonah, and Jonah in his finite wisdom and his finite intelligence chooses to run away the opposite direction of Nineveh because he didn't trust that what God was telling him was really what God wanted him to do. If you go on to read the rest of the story of Jonah, God sends Jonah to Nineveh so that he would preach to them and the people of the city would, would repent and come to God. That's, a, that's good news, right? Anytime somebody gives their life to God is good news, correct? Amen. And you know what Jonah says to God? He says, oh Lord, he says, um, it says that God decided not to destroy the city and this is what Jonah says to that. He goes, this is why I didn't want to come, because I knew that you would change your mind and you would not destroy the city. You see what I'm saying? You know that was in the Bible? That was a prophet. That was a man of God. He decided in his small mind to go outside the path of God. And I would say it this way, whenever you venture away from the path that God has called you to walk down, you miss out on the best possible life. Though whatever you're doing may make sense and may make complete sense, you may go to school to do whatever this thing is that you think God is calling you to, but if you miss God's call or that path, you may still live a good life, but you may be missing out on the great life that God is calling you to live. I would put it this way, your decision to not follow God's call not only affects you, but it may affect other people. Your decision to not follow God's call may affect other people. Because what we find time and time again in the scriptures is that you are not an island unto yourself, but you have a family, you have friends, you have co-workers, you have fellow believers that you worship with together, and everything you do matters to everybody else. And to not follow the call that God has put on your life is to rob yourself of living the best possible life. 
Now, some of you are sitting here, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, what if I've already missed it? What if God has put a call on my life, and I just completely missed it? I just, you know, I knew he might have been calling me this direction, but I chose this. What if I missed what God was calling me to do? The good news is that in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is a God of second chances. God is a God who will come to you a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a one billionth time because God is intimately interested in your life. And God will keep calling and keep calling and he will keep pursuing you until you choose to fully follow and obey the path that God has set for you to follow. But God cannot and will not force you where he wants you to go. Did you hear that? He will not force you because a God of love will not do that. It goes against God's very own nature, but rather God will continue to call. So if you feel like perhaps you might have missed God's call, have no fear because our God doesn't give up. Have no fear because our God's feelings don't get hurt and then he resents you for the rest of your life. God does not act like we humans do in relationships, but rather God is the perfect person being in this universe that no matter what will continually and relentlessly seek after you and call you. Amen? Because God doesn't just care about forever, God cares about today as well. God doesn't just want you to be in heaven with him for all eternity. God wants you in an intimate relationship with him today. After all, today is all we have. God has always been at work in the world, and he is now at work where you are. God always, always takes the initiative. And God wants you to join him in the work that he is doing in this world. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, when God calls you, the vision that God has for you is what we call a God-sized vision. And to obey God in a God-sized vision takes a whole lot of faith and trust. When God calls you to a God-sized vision, it means that you have the choice to either follow him, trusting him, or to be like Jonah or Adam and Eve and choose something that is much easier but has eternal consequences. So I want to read to you. I want to fill in the blank with you. In many ways, obedience is your moment of truth. So what you do when God is asking you to obey him, what you do will reveal what you believe about God. So if God is saying, this is the path that I have chosen for you, and you know it, and you hear it in your heart, and you have no doubt that God is calling you this way, if you choose to follow God, it reveals that you believe that God is faithful, that God's promises are true, and that God will go with you every step of the way. But if you choose to do something easier, what you're really saying about God is that everything the Bible says, that everything you've been taught about God, that all the promises that God has made about himself, if you choose to go away from what God is calling you, what you're really saying is that God is not strong enough. God is not good enough or smart enough. You see, it's not just you choosing something else. It's actually saying about what you really believe about God. Number two, what you do will determine whether you will experience God's mighty work in you and through you. 
I don't know about you, but even on my best day, I still do probably a lot of crummy things. Even on the day where I'm on top of my game and I am perfect, there is all, or I think I'm perfect, there is always something, many things that I do that make me fall short of the person I want to be. And if that's true on my best day, then I'm probably not the best person to chart the course for my life. Which is why so many of the big decisions that you go through and that I go through, we find ourselves praying and praying and praying hard and even fasting and speaking to people who are spiritually ahead of us on the journey to lead us down the path God wants us to go. So what you do when God calls you determines whether you will experience God's mighty work in your life. Now, I don't know about you. But when I read those miracles in the Bible, I wish they were true today. And so the best that I can and to the best of my ability, I try to follow God wherever God leads me. Oftentimes, especially if it's uncomfortable and difficult, because I know that I won't be able to do it myself. And so I trust in the Lord to carry me forward. Number three, what you do when God calls you will decide whether you will come to know God more intimately. We know a lot about God. We know the stories of the Bible. We hear the preachers up here every single Sabbath. We've, our parents have taught us stories. Our mothers have taught us stories about God. Our fathers, everybody. But just because you know the stories and just because you know about God doesn't mean you know him intimately. To really know somebody isn't to be with them just to have this relationship with them when things are good, but to truly love and to truly know somebody is to go through the darkest valley with them. To truly know somebody, somebody said it this way to me this week, or maybe a week or two ago. They said, you don't really love somebody until you have gone through the most difficult situations in your life. You don't really love somebody. He, he was a very different expression that I can't use in church, in other words. He says, and let, I'll, let me think of a, a rated G version. P, yeah, G. Um, until the mm hits the fan, you don't really know if you love somebody. And I sat there li and listening to him, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because when things are good, it's easy to love somebody, amen? If you're married, it's easy to like somebody when things are great, right? When there's money in the bank account, when everything's perfect at home, when everyone's happy, the kids are healthy. It's easy to like and love somebody, but when things get difficult and maybe the funds get depleted or maybe somebody gets sick or maybe somebody is going through something that's so difficult that you, they, they bring you down, until, until you've gone through something difficult, you don't know. And so this is what, what Henry Blackaby in the book Experience in God is. It's exactly what he's saying. He's saying when God calls you, it reveals what you believe about him. It reveals if you believe what he says about himself to be true is true. And, it, and if you decide to follow God, you will know him more intimately, and your relationship with God will be closer and stronger. But it takes you to follow where God is calling you to go. Jonah reluctantly went to Nineveh, reluctantly went there, preached the word of the Lord, God changed his mind. That's a sermon for another day. People say God is never changing, and yet the Bible says that he changed his mind. We can talk about that another time. 
And, Noah, and uh, Noah, Jonah says, this is why I fled. He goes, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. He was trying to insult God by saying all those wonderful things. And in the end, if you read the story, Jonah is still bitter. He did what God called him to do, but the motivation wasn't there. The motivation of love and of service wasn't there. And I would go on to say that he missed out on what God was really trying to do through him. I want to wrap up with this last quote from the book. It says, when you obey God, he will accomplish through you what he has purposed to do. When God does something through your life that only he can do, you will come to know him more intimately. If you do not obey, you will miss some of the most exciting experiences of your life. When Noah obeyed, God preserved his family and repopulated the earth. When Abraham obeyed, God gave him a son and built a nation. When, God, when David obeyed, God made him a king. When Elijah obeyed, God sent down fire and consumed the sacrifice. Moses came to know God through experience as he obeyed him. These people of faith came to know God by experience when they obeyed him and when they accomplished what God wanted to do through them. This morning, I want to just invite you. Usually, you know when God is calling you to do something or go somewhere or live a certain kind of way. In your heart, God has programmed each one of you to listen to God's voice. You know what God is calling you to do. You know where God is calling you to go. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you to just open your heart and your mind and your will to God and say, where you lead, I will follow. Where you are asking me to go, even if I am 50-50, God, use the 50% of faith that I have and let me go forward. Let me live this life that you have called me to live. God wants you to experience the fullness of life. That's why Jesus comes and lays down his life for you, to free you from the sin and the junk. sacrifice of Jesus was costly so that you would have this fullness of life. And so this morning, I want to just end by asking you and by challenging you to trust and to follow God. Amen.